Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. You may or may not have heard of this big buzzword going on in the healing world, in the therapy world, and it's called EMDR. And for those of you who do not know what EMDR is, we're going to get into that. And I'm really excited to host Laurel Thornton today. She is a mom of two, a wife who actually works with her husband, and she opened a business called Whole Brain Solutions in 2013. At the time, it was just her and her husband. And then in 2016, they rapidly grew opening it into a group practice with their first employees. So EMDR is this, I I didn't know what it was, Laurel, until 2021. I had reached out to a therapist just assuming like, they're a therapist, they will help me heal. And I quickly learned that she specialized in EMDR. And I would love if you would share with us what, what EMDR is, what it stands for, because it's starting to pick up steam and I, I think it's really wonderful that our culture is finally shifting into this world where people are eager to heal themselves and allow their brain and body to heal themselves. But EMDR is this relatively, I know it's not new in the therapy world, but as far as access and normalization to the rest of the community, like all, all of the communities and people, it still feels pretty new, right? Am I, am I right in saying that? I think so, yes. And first, thanks for having me, Taylor. Thanks for so, being here. I'm so excited. And, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I feel very well set up. Yeah. So EMDR was discovered, I'm going to use that word, um, by Dr. Francine Shapiro in the 90s. And she worked very hard to set it up so that it could be researched. And the efficacy just continues to be shown in experimental design studies. But it wasn't until probably about 10 years ago, I think, that it really got accepted as best practices. And then you saw it take off. And it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy, which I like to say is a mouthful, which is why everyone calls it EMDR. <laughs> and and Dr. Shapiro says if she knew what she knew, you know, 10 years in, she would have called it reprocessing therapy because essentially what it does is it helps your brain take stuck old or maladaptive memories, experiences, and it brings them up into the present and then lets your brain through your own innate adaptive ways that it can process information, move through it with the knowledge, wisdom that you have in the present moment. Because what we find is that stressful experiences get stored a little bit differently than just everyday kind of normal arousal state experiences without a sense of time, logic, language, or organization. And so if any of you have ever been moving through space and then you hear a sound or you smell a smell, and then suddenly you feel like you're eight years old, and it can be a good thing too, sometimes like makes you think of your grandmother's house, or it makes you remember this time where you felt really unsafe. That is a trigger is, is that fragment of information that 
got detached from the other pieces of the experience or story. And EMDR really helps your body and your brain work together, bringing them together in an adaptive way for you now so that it's something that happened to you in the past that was terrible versus feeling like it's happening to you again now in the present. Well, and I I think I know for me, I naturally thought of people with PTSD who are in the military. And I, and I know for that, that is incredible. But as I've gone on my own healing journey these last two years, there have been triggers that have come up, especially having kids. I mean, having kids is yeah. like, they're great little triggers. And so there were things where they would like, like say my, my son would hit me, that would trigger me. Now for some people that might not be a trigger. And so as I started sitting with it, I was like, okay, why is this so triggering for me? And so getting the ability to like sift through a lot of old stories in, I'm, I'm really excited to get into this because I have been, I've been like, I don't know a fraction of what you know about our bodies healing themselves, but I can attest to my own experience, which has been doing inner child work, shadow work, trauma work, and how it shows up as an adult, these beliefs that were given to me as a very young child. And no matter how much love you're surrounded by, by your caregivers, they can't love you perfectly. And so it's been interesting to me how those things, even if it's not a super traumatic experience, to an adult, and and I, and, and I think that's what you were talking to, to an adult, it's not super traumatic. But when you experience something as a child, it's very real and it's it, and it can be very traumatic. And so when you're still processing it as an adult with a five-year-old's lens on, it's really, it's, it's really interesting to see how stuff like that shows up in day-to-day situations. But I did want to really, really quick, you had just mentioned the, the, the woman who discovered EMDR and Mike just told me about a podcast from Andrew Huberman that he just listened to. And I don't know if he interviewed her or if he just explained how she actually discovered EMDR. And wasn't she hiking? Yeah. So she passed away a couple of years ago. But yes, I mean, it's like this basically, you know, watching wildlife move back and forth, ducks in a pond. I mean, the story has had its own legs. Someone once told me it was a squirrel, but I believe it was ducks swimming and she was on a walk. Yeah. And she had gone through a a really hard divorce or is going through it and just started watching and her noticed that her eyes were moving back and forth and it started to feel differently and even better. And so that was, yes, nature and moving your body and in nature is what started the whole journey of EMDR. And yeah, I love, I love the origin story. I love most origin stories, but EMDR, it has a really good one. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't know the, the origin story of EMDR. And so essentially from what I picked up from the podcast with Andrew Huberman was even when you're hiking, like when you're in nature and you're hiking, your eyes are naturally moving back and forth on the trail. Just your brain is scanning for danger. Like, as like yeah. you know, is it, are there clouds coming? Is there an animal? Is there anything I need to pay attention to? Is there a cliff? Is there a rock? Am I going to trip? And so your eyes are constantly moving back and forth. And Mike has so many survival books. Like he actually just got a search and rescue page. Um, but I was like, we have a podcast first. <laughs> so he's, he loves survival stuff. And he, even he recognized that a lot of these people who like hike the Appalachian trail, hike the Colorado trail or the, the, the continental divide trail, they'll spend months and months and months out in nature, just walking. But doing mm-hmm. doing the the natural EMDR movement, and they they're able to reprocess a lot of things and get a lot of clarity. And so 
for those of you tuning in and listening, if you're somebody who loves to hike and you're like, oh my gosh, after my hike, I am just so much clear, more clear minded and I feel better. It kind of seems like your body's organically doing that, right? Yeah. And I haven't listened to that podcast, but I'm guessing that he was even more specifically speaking about the orienting response, which is that Mm -hmm. where we are scanning. And what we've found is that in particular, when we have kind of a soft gaze or that constant scan opposed to the hyper focus, right? I'm only looking for a bear, right? If you're only looking for a bear, you sometimes trip or fall off like, you know, kick a rock or something. But if you have that gentle gaze where you're, okay, I heard a sound and I saw movement in a bush, I should probably look at that, right? Because that could be a bear. But I also need to constantly look at the trail and how's the sky and the wind conditions, all that soft gaze that's constantly scanning is the best way to promote survival. It's actually the best to promote performance. And that really gets into the orienting response and the science of safety, that when we can show our nervous system that in any one moment it's safe, that is the best for healing. That's the best for connection. That's the best. I mean, it's, you know, sort of the biggest health benefit. And I mean, I've been listening to some of the Huberman Lab stuff. I mean, he keeps coming up with reasons to be outside, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like ways to heal your body (laughs) outside sunlight and movement. So yeah. And EMDR has supported that hypothesis. We It's done a little bit differently, but it is absolutely in that same hypothesis of that the orienting response really helps our brain regulate its heart rate, be present, all of these things that we know are helpful for healing. And that honestly, Taylor, gets to why my business is named Whole Brain Solutions, because I was a big believer it doesn't really matter what brings you into healing. And if it's hiking and then you realize like, hey, I've moved through most of my stuff hiking, but I get stuck on this one point. I'm like, maybe I could help with that. So we are advocates of anything that promotes whole brain healing, which is when your body, your emotional brain, your thinking logical and your creative brains all interacting together at once that we believe that that's really the key to holistic wellness. And EMDR is a way to do that, but it's not the only way. Right. So I, f- I feel like Laurel, this idea of self-healing and your body and your brain can heal themselves. It's not new, right? Like it's been around forever and ever, but it is kind of new because our generation, the generation before us kind of skipped over that and moved into this needing a quick fix. Uh, an antidepressant, a diet pill, uh, you know, just like that immediate satisfaction. And so I feel like it is coming back a little more full circle of people recognizing, oh, my brain can heal itself. Like it's something I can train. Can you talk more to that? Because I love reading that about like that importance as part of your business and whole brain solutions, I think is such a beautiful way that you've like encompassed that you can self heal. And there are a lot of different modalities. Can you talk more about what that looks like specifically in our culture with just being able to, to, to self heal and that it's, it's not just woo woo information coming out on social media? Yeah, that's a good question. So from an EMDR perspective, what this question I think is getting to is is at the core of the, it's called the adaptive information, information processing model or the AIP model, which is the theory behind EMDR and like how people are the way they are and how we heal. And it really 
you know, kind of at its core, there are two things I love about it. One is that it says in order to give something up, our nervous systems need something more adaptive to go in its place. So I love that approach to healing of like, let me offer you something. Let's add to um, before we go in and try and take something away, take a piece of your story, take a coping mechanism you've been doing for 20 years and has like worked reasonably well because here you are, right? You've survived life so far. And so that's one piece. And then the other piece is that we are innately hardwired to survive and also heal. And that we sometimes get flooded and have a hard time rebalancing, but that we, our brains are designed to survive threats and also heal and connect. Um, And that things can block that. But really what we find is that when we give alternatives, those blocks tend to sort of naturally fall away versus having to fight them. Um, And that is one of the reasons I still love doing this and I don't get bored um, because there's so much creativity in kind of finding the right combination for each individual to heal. And mostly what we do is like, what's, what's working? And then how do we add to that versus, oh my gosh, everything you're doing is wrong and unhealthy and blah, blah, blah. So in the context of what's going on, I think social media and the internet has been amazing, right? It's just access to information. It can be a lifeline and connection. And it also is two-dimensional. And our brains were developed, I think, in outdoor and experiential spaces. And honestly, I think part of the thing that we're noticing now is that like evolutionarily, technology just moved so much faster than our brain, you know, than we can adapt. And we're just trying to figure out how to function well with all that we have going on now. So, you know, I think there's no easy answer of how we got here, or how we fix it. I think the thing that just I want everyone to know is like your brain is really well designed, almost perfectly designed to keep you alive and also heal. Um, and that if you're not surrounded by people that believe that about you, then you probably are surrounded by people that aren't going to help you heal, right? Like those are probably not the right people for moving you along or environments. I think I use people kind of figuratively, right? And for sometimes that's like, I know where to find people. Like they are a phone call away or a, you know, 30 minute drive away, but I need to be by myself. But you're not doing it in complete isolation. I think that's the other thing that I will note is that our brains are social organisms and they are not good at being holistically well alone. So I don't know if I got the elements you're looking for, Taylor. I'm yeah, happy to absolutely. provide clarification. No, absolutely. I would love for, for, for the person listening right now, who's, who's saying I've been in therapy for six years. I've, I've been in talk therapy for six mm-hmm. years. What would you tell them? What would you say? If you're like, if you're not seeing the results you want, here's why EMDR is so specialized. This is why it's so powerful and empowering for the person experiencing it first is not that there's anything wrong with talk therapy. It, it works for a lot of people, but there are certain times I think, and, and, and I would, I have another question, but I'm going to hold off for just a second. There are certain times when you really need this very concentrated reprocessing of an experience or a belief. Yeah. So I, when I teach EMDR to clinicians who are just learning it, I say, you know, the purpose of EMDR is to help shift perspective. And we're 
from an EMDR therapist perspective, we're not saying your perspective is bad or good. We are just saying that if it was the one you needed to heal, you wouldn't need therapy, right? Like if that was the perspective your brain needed to keep moving, we wouldn't be here. And so let's just be curious about what a different perspective might be of this same thing. And the metaphor I use to kind of help that make sense is like a jigsaw puzzle metaphor. And I say like, okay, so let's just say you've been working on this jigsaw puzzle and it's a picture of a park and it's a beautiful day in the park and there's a pond and there's ducks or geese or there, there are birds swimming. And then there are two people. It appears based on clothing that it's a man and a woman and the man is laughing, but we, we don't have the pieces for the woman's upper half of her body. And we're missing like the general... Uh, middle of the pond. We can tell it's a pond and it's a beautiful day in a park. And, you know, it's like, we know this scene well, we've been working on it for hours and we can't find the pieces we're looking for. And generally most people would look at this jigsaw puzzle and say, oh, it's a happy scene, right? The like affect of this is like, it's pretty, it's this man's laughing. All right. And then let's say with EMDR, we find a couple of these pieces and the woman's not laughing, she's crying. And she's doing a hand motion that looks like this, like kind of like get away from me. And in the middle of this pond is one gray duck and all the rest are white and they're swimming away from it. Okay, well, suddenly this jigsaw puzzle has a very different feel. Neither is good or bad, but it's different. And some people may not like the puzzle anymore. And some people may be like, this is my puzzle. This validates my experience. I get this. And... That's the thing is that our brain is hardwired to find patterns and habits and it likes narratives and it doesn't like holes. And we repeat things because that's what we have access to. But when you have that ick feeling in your chest, every time someone talks about a park and you're not sure why, and then you realize, oh, maybe it was me who was the girl in the park, or I was just a bystander in the park. And I watched this whole thing happen. And I realized like, I don't like parks. Oh, that makes so much sense to me now. And, and kind of that's the power of EMDR is that those jigsaw pieces in the puzzle, they're stored in a different part of the brain. And they're stored in a part of the brain that are really hard to access by talking. And so often it just needs an intervention that welcomes somatic input. And again, this is where I'm open to that being yoga, I'm open to that being acupuncture or Reiki or something else. But like oftentimes, needs a way to welcome input from the body. And EMDR does that really nicely. Somatic experience therapy, which is also getting a lot of traction right now, does a beautiful job of welcome somatic or body input. So there's lots of options. So I'm not going to say why EMDR. I'm going to say why you would want potentially a therapy that welcomes somatic input. EMDR uses bilateral stimulation, which helps your brain stay present to those multiple levels of input. And so that is one of the things that sets it apart. But, you know, again, a therapist who loves what they do and is really mindful about welcoming body input can do that without bilateral a lot of times. So thank you so much for diving into that. I'm I'm curious, without giving away too much information, of course, I want to respect boundaries within your work and the work that you do. But I'm curious, what are some ways that you see trauma manifest? Um, I know, I know, and I know others have experienced physical manifestations. For me, it's uveitis mm -hmm. or migraines. Um, for somebody else, it might be really poor sleep and you just don't really know why, but something's coming up and your sleep is crap, or maybe it's acid reflux or 
maybe you're terrified of loud sounds, but what are some of the ways that you see it manifest where some people might not even realize that it's a trauma response and they're just, or their, their body trying to process through something. What are some of those ways that are, I feel like maybe, maybe more, most common, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, so many, I, I think, unfortunately, trauma is very common at this point. And so one of the things I would say is whatever you feel like your symptoms are, if you spoke with someone who has a lot of experience working with trauma, they're probably really normal, like in that subset. And we just see because stress impacts every system of the body, we see the symptoms. I mean, you mentioned a lot of ones that I actually think I'm really glad you said, Taylor, because people don't think about that of like, oh, my health could be a sign that I've had a lot of stress. I think um, the area that gets a lot less attention and it's a group of people that I've come to work with a lot just based on the setting of where Whole Brain Solutions is, which is the college town. We have a very good hospital. We have a lot of highly educated, high achievers is what I call left brain hiders, right? And so a lot of times when emotions have become overwhelming, we look for places to get away from them. Drugs and alcohol have been common. You know, we talk about eating, we talk about sex, we talk about shopping. But one of the ways that I see it manifest is being in systems that give feedback based on, you know, how well you do. So school becomes a really common place for people that have experienced trauma, particularly in childhood to hide and to be good enough and to get those needs met in a highly structured way. And they, a lot of times go unnoticed because they're acting the way they're supposed to, and they're getting good grades. And then we see them get advanced degrees and then maybe another degree. And what I find is that then when they have achieved and checked all the boxes and they've made it, there is this overwhelming sense of not knowing how to function and a flooding of how am I supposed to be good enough if there's no grade, if there's no this. And so these people often take on extra responsibilities at work and all at the expense of being able to connect in a safe, genuine way in their interpersonal relationships. So that's a really common way that I see it show up that I don't think gets talked about enough is like, um, I kind of lovingly make fun of my mom of like, these are the Excel spreadsheet people because I have a mom who loves Excel and my brain like doesn't get Excel of like color coordinating things and like grouping them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to cook my pie when, when I want to mom, like, I don't know, this oven chart at Thanksgiving stresses me out. Right. That's I'm like, hilarious. <laughs> so we like balance each other. Out. I'm not saying that she has a trauma history. I'm more saying like, that's how I got that example. And some of my clients are like, Oh yes. I mean, like I have to work out from this time and then shower. And if I don't do that, my whole day's ruined. Like that rigidity of things fitting where they're supposed to and getting your control, you know, that is highly adaptive for them. And it got them out of like where they came from and it gave them a job. And But what we find is that things are adaptive until they're not, right? You mentioned kids. Kids yes. are a real good test of that, right? Kids don't tend to fit very well into, you know, 30 minute blocks of time. And so I work with a lot of women and I think they come in when they've gotten the promotion, like they've officially made it. They come in when they're going to get married. They come in when they have a kid. A lot of times I see women really doing well until they kind of reach their late 20s and are totally financially independent, emotionally independent, and then they don't know what to do. 
You know, it's like they've achieved every goal they've ever had. And now what? So these are just some of the things I think are so fascinating. And then we get the systemic pressures of like, oh, I've waited too long and I'm never going to be able to have kids now, right? You've mentioned a couple of things that have reminded me of, you know, I think we get raised with kind of societal fairy tales, like things we're told, um, you know, some of my favorite American fairy tales are like hard work pays off. It can. <laughs> and I know a lot of people that have worked really hard and don't have their own business yet. Or, you know, I mean, right. I think it is a piece, right? It is not the only piece that matters. You know, love, <laughs> there's lots of fairy tales about love. And I think there's some others like thoughts cause your feelings. Like that's a fair, that would be so nice if that was just right. all it was. <laughs> right. But I think that really invalidates people with a trauma history because emotions are organic reactions to the environment. And sometimes emotions come from thoughts, but sometimes they come from microfacial expressions or smells or, you know, just the perfect combination of sunlight, a butterfly and a good snack. And you feel joy for like a split second and nothing, you didn't think about anything. It's just like everything lined up and you just noticed it. And so they're just these patterns that society loves a quick sound bite. It loves this. And I'm a big believer if it works for you, great, but it might only work for you right now in this moment, based on a whole bunch of things that were out of your control. And so be curious about that. When does it stop working? Why doesn't it work for your best friend? And that's, you know, there's so many reasons why things kind of come together in the way they are for that brain at that time. And so EMDR is really, I like it too, because it's a non-judgmental approach of just welcoming curiosity of kind of collecting the things you need for your life at this moment. And also the like, hopefully if we you know, practice it correctly of like, this is an imperfect practice and it will probably stop working at some point because you're going to have another kid or, you know, you get a new job or you move and it's going to be hard and you're going to survive because you were made to survive. So that was so beautifully said. And I love that you brought up this like made it, I'm using air, air quotes, made it markers, whether it's the grade or the income or the promotion, or like you said, you got married, you had kids and now you're like, now what? Because I think it's, it's, it's so easy and all of us get wrapped in up or wrapped up in it at some point, whether it's a goal weight or a goal height or whatever it is, a goal bench press. There's there's these these numbers. They're very ambiguous, but they feel really tangible because it's a number. It's a metric, but they are ambiguous because you're the one pulling it out of thin air. And I, I love that you brought that up as a marker because, you know, for, for all the overachievers out there and perfectionists, I mean, that's a way that I think personally trauma can show up. I'm, I'm curious, Laurel... I feel like after I became a mom, my self-compassion changed dramatically. There are times when I'm with my kids and I feel like I'm having a pretty damn good day. I'm handling myself. I'm chill and I snap and I don't snap and like knock them across the room, but I might say something that I wouldn't have said had I not been triggered or snapped or gotten a nasty email from somebody or was not fighting with a friend or whatever. And as an adult with an adult brain, I go, yeah, my, my kids just know that I had a rough moment. They know. But I look at them and I go, no, that 
that's something that might stick with them. And so then when I started doing my, 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 my own healing work, and I, I am working with an, an EMDR therapist, which I'm very excited about, but it, it did give me this level of self-compassion of what I, things that I experienced through the lens of a four or five-year-old to my parents, to my caregiver, to the friend on the school bus, it was nothing. It was just a day and an, like maybe an offhanded comment or a snap up from anger. But looking at myself and giving myself in that very tiny person that I used to be a lot more compassion has been really game changing for me. And I'm, 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 I'm curious how becoming a mother has changed how you approach therapy and the people that you work with and maybe the compassion or a different, I don't know. I just think, I mean, a lot changes to a woman's brain when you become a parent and a father's brain, but I'm, I'm, I'm just curious how, how that's changed, how you approach your work, your business, your, your practice, what, what you're doing for yourself and for others. Yeah. So I was at the dinner table. Um, I, I don't remember what Leora was doing or saying or what was going on with me that day, but I remember just having this flood of relief because I just saw the truth that no matter what I did, all the knowledge I had as a therapist, I mean, I married an elementary school counselor and seems infinitely better at talking to kids than me. But I was like, it's okay. Like my job is to love her and mess her up a little bit. And then like the kicker was like, and encourage her to go to therapy when she wants to, right? It's like, there's just no way to do this job perfectly. And that's okay. And I just felt this immense relief of I'm going to mess her up a little bit because I am strong-willed and I don't compromise on certain things. And also, hopefully it creates this template in her that, you know, we do hard things, we fall, we mess up and we get back up and we keep going and we love each other throughout the whole thing. And yeah, so that was one of the things that came up from you all. You were sharing that. And that was with my daughter, who is a typically developing girl. And then I had my son two years later and he had a pretty uneventful pregnancy and then he is born and almost dies. And that was a whole different experience. And, you know, it made me a better therapist because I was sort of forced, like, am I going to trust what I do (laughs) and my network? And I got EMDR and I you know, and also he has an undiagnosed neuromuscular condition. So his brain really doesn't make sense to anyone. And I just spent the whole beginning of this podcast, like talking to you about the brain and how, I mean, my whole professional identity has been created, designed. And like, I have felt so much trust in that the brain makes sense and it's designed to heal. And here, my son just stops breathing for no reason. And people are like, I don't know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so just that, I mean, I think we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and through that process, really just coming back to like, this does work, right? I believe in this, you know, I'm here talking to you all about my son almost dying multiple times. And I don't have that like throat constriction stuff. I mean, that's part of his story. And practically he's a really happy three-year-old with an undiagnosed medical condition, but his day-to-day life is really beautiful. And I think all of these things matter because sometimes being a mom of a girl in America who's typically developing in blonde hair, blue eyes, and athletically inclined feels way harder (laughs) than uh, 
the idea of raising a son who I get to kind of write his script and we, you know, people pay attention to him because he's unique. So I think kind of back to your question of compassion and getting this job, I think kids have redefined everything. It's made me more selfish of my time, but also incredibly more giving of my time to moms. I think moms are the fiercest warriors that I've ever met. And I say moms, meaning like anyone who has been pregnant or decided to raise a kid. I mean, this encompasses really like anywhere you are in that walk of of the perinatal experience. You are a fierce warrior and you come from an amazing tribe that since the beginning of time has worked together and has figured it out. So compassion with fierceness. Uh, you know, I think like for me, those words like always have this counterbalance of like, yes. And with that compassion, like I would like freaking run into a fire for your kid um, just because you have a kid. <laughs> like, so yeah, I, it's changed me in a lot of ways. And I think I'd also be lying Taylor if I said like on some days it didn't make it harder to do this job. You know, there have been some times where hearing a story about something that happened to someone as a kid. And I used to be able to maintain some, like I never had trouble maintaining distance from people's experiences and stories. And they will surprise me sometimes. I'll hear a story and it'll remind me of my kids. And I I react and respond to that very differently. And, you know, I'm also grateful for that. I think it's just, it's hard to do EMDR and, and not be present with your your clients and there's room for it to be emotional too. You know, we're not a, like, we're not supposed to do EMDR flat faced and disconnected. Um, it works best when we're present with the person and authentic. And so, yeah, I, I like that part too. I, it's interesting that you say that. So Laurel and I met, she was, you were a student assistant or GA with my, my mom and we met in college and what's funny, or I guess it's not funny, Laurel. I imagine this is pretty, <laughs> pretty common, but my mom said that that's why she moved to working with students was after she had kids, she could not separate from the story. She was hearing people and her own children at home. And so I always thought that was really interesting because my mom, you know, my mom, she's like a fierce, like very independent woman. And it doesn't seem like a lot rattles her, but to know that after she became a mom, I mean, your brain literally changes. If, if, if you are a mother who goes through pregnancy, your amygdala opens up and it never really goes back. Like your amygdala is that worry center and it never Mm -hmm. goes back to its original size. And so I just thought that that was so incredible that my mom even was like, I, I like she loved working with students because she didn't have to hear a lot of those horror stories. But yeah, no, I, I love everything that you said. And the one thing that keeps me up at night is knowing that I have and will mess up my children in some way, shape, form or fashion. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, as, as, as long as a parent, I can give them the tools that they need to heal themselves and encourage them that they can heal themselves. No matter how good I do, I can't love another person perfectly. Like you, you can only love yourself perfectly because you're the person who knows what you need in any given second and moment. And I had also read somewhere that, and this has helped me develop as a human and mother and just person trying to heal was that trauma isn't the isolated event itself. And maybe you can help with this. Um, it's, it's not the event 
It's the lack of moving it through and processing it in your body. And so there have been many times when I have acted out of character in front of my kids and I know I can't just leave this hanging. I cannot, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I have to get in there. I have to go to the battlefield and say, I am sorry, first and foremost, like I need to own what I did and then help them process that experience. Whether it was, I rolled the windows up in the car and they didn't want the windows up. I mean, very small things, or it could have been a big thing where I did snap and lose it on them or in front of them or whatever. And so it has given me this, this awareness of needing to help them process. We were camping in Moab and our dog got attacked by a husky and our boys were right there. And then Mike got bit. And so we were immediately spiraling as parents, like, oh my gosh, are they going to be terrified of dogs now? Can we will never be able to walk again? <laughs> and instead, I had just told Mike that epiphany of, or not epiphany, but what I had learned, which was, it's not the event, it's the it's the not processing it and not moving it through their body. So we spent like three nights talking about this attack. How, what do you guys want to talk about? And then they acted it out a few times together. They were like, and then Mason was like this and then the other dog. And so it was really cool to see them process it as kids and for us to give them that space. They were there when we called the police, when we, they were there when we went to the emergency room. So they were part of the whole process. But to me, learning that trauma was not the event. It was the the aftermath basically and how the brain processes it. And did I, did I say too many S's in process processes it and how, how, how it affects you later on. I just thought that was, Oh my gosh, that was such a relief as a parent. Yeah. And I love that. You're just speaking to that, like the pressure it takes off of you and your kids ask for that almost. Right. I mean, kids, when they bring up an event, it's because they, they want help moving through the experience, like that's the sign that it's kind of glitching or a little bit stuck. And so they just are, they're, they're coming to you with wanting permission to move it. And, you know, I think I, I heard in grad school, I think it's well put, you know, kids are wonderful observers, horrible interpreters. And, (laughs) you know, right. And I mean, right. Like we, we see this all the time. I'm like, Hey mommy, did you blank blank? And you're like, Oh, I right. It's like I did this this thing, and you saw all of that, but put them together like those three events were related. And in fact, they like I'm texting this person and cooking macaroni and cheese and whatever. Right. So that's a great example of it. And the brain is really good at flipping over into orienting to the. It's designed basically post stress. There's this huge spike, right? You said the amygdala says threats the, you know, HPA axis kicks on, which releases adrenaline and cortisol, and we survive. And then cortisol, which is our stress hormone, which is in the news for being toxic, it's really designed to be a microtoxin to help the executive functioning of your brain come back, which is very present task dependent. And so we can help actually train brains to orient by doing exactly what you did. And then what happened, right? And then we did this. And then what happened? You know, daddy got bit. That was really scary too. And then what happened? And we keep showing them that these events aren't one thing. They are a process and people helped us and we were together. And now we're here telling the story and our dog's okay. And we're okay. Because those, the ending of the story is where they will start to create 
things. But when we help connect all those pieces together, it becomes a consolidated experience with a beginning, which was like, everything was fine. You know, the middle, which is something really scary or big happened. And then the middle end is how we got to the end, which ideally has to do with like, and we were okay, or we were safe, or this person helped us. And then we started healing, right? Their brains are really better at it than we are. I mean, you're still thinking about it. And the boys maybe are, maybe aren't, you know, maybe when they see a husky, they'll be like, remember that time and Moab? And like, oh my gosh, you have no idea. Right. So I think yes. that's the other, the other piece I would offer is at what point do you trust that that piece has moved through? And we don't need to collect all of these. Oh my gosh, is my kid okay when this thing happens? they're okay. And they're telling me when they need more help and I'll respond to it then. Because I think otherwise we just get so weighted down with the, how many stressors there are right now and how many things are scary. But our kids, when they feel safe with us are actually really good at communicating in their own ways when they need help from us if we're paying attention. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if it's a tantrum in the middle of a parking lot, it's, it's so hard. Like I can't tell you the number of times we've like pulled into the grocery store and right there, right there is when they decide to let me know that they're not okay. And so it's easy to just grab them and be like, come on, just get over it. But there that's them processing and asking for help. And it's, and, it, and it doesn't change as you become an adult. The other night, I just had a meltdown over the dumbest thing but I wasn't able to communicate with Mike why why it was so important to me until a few hours later. But even as a 35-year-old, I'm still learning to communicate when I need help and support processing something. Laurel, you have built such a beautiful, such a beautiful business. And I would love to hear more about why Whole Brain Solutions. Like, why did you come up with that name, one? And two, you have 14 therapists, right? I think so, but I'm going to oh feel badly. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so amazing. And do you guys have two branches, right? You you have Morgantown, West Virginia, and then North Carolina, and you're even considering expanding more. Yeah, we have a small branch in North Carolina. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was so much about starting this practice that was a bit of a reaction in me to this idea of like group practices and things should be about making money. Or I don't know, the formula didn't make sense to me is probably a nicer way to say it of contractors and 6040. Um, my dad is self employed, he's in real estate. And, you know, that commission structure is like, once you make a certain amount of money, you get a higher percentage because the business has covered its costs. So I come from this background of like, sure, I get it, things cost money, and you got to pay into the pot. But then at a certain point, like, I'm working harder and I'm getting no more money and you're getting more money just for not doing anything. Right, right. So I definitely am a product of my environment. And I also just really believe that in order to help the mental health crisis and the field, we have to train people well. Um, and the model was you had to get trained in an agency setting where you have to see 65 people a month or I mean, a week, excuse me, and just too many, the nervous system's not good at it's being so present. Exactly. So I was looking at the numbers. And I'm like, I think I can make this work on full time being 18 to 20, and offer people stability of being an employee and having a salary. And because we're not paying CEOs and giving, you know, we just had lower overhead, really, that it worked. And 
Um, you know, I think the other big thing that I tell people is there's no nothing wrong with being a generalist, but I think if you really are passionate and love something, like do that one thing and don't feel like you have to like do everything, right? So in therapy, like I love EMDR, I want to do EMDR, I don't want to do talk therapy, I'm not that good at it, I never was, I have ADHD and I get distracted when I just have to talk to someone like <laughs> that I don't, you know, I mean, this was easy because I love this, but, and so I specialized and we had a niche and the community really responded well because I wasn't in competition with anyone. I was a supplement. And so a lot of therapists referred to us and people that really wanted to do kind of more in-depth trauma work were drawn to train with me. And so that's just how it happened was being really clear in my vision of what I loved and what I wanted to do and then offering clear boundaries, right? I mean, this is like, basically, you know, trauma informed, I think that term gets overused a little bit. But part of that is just expectations and boundaries being transparent and upfront about things. And so by kind of leaning into our, what I believed about helping and healing, turns out that was also a really good place to be teaching and growing and connecting. And, you know, I think I was well set up in terms I had support and I was really fortunate to have a building that I could just add one office at a time. I think I, I really didn't have to make any big financial leaps in terms of like signing a huge lease before I had therapists or anything like that. And then we grew to the point where we then did buy a building. So, but I was able to just grow in these like sort of small increments and then 2020 happened and everything went crazy. And I think I grew the most while I was dissociated because my son was born and I didn't know what was going on. And I just said like, sure, yes, come work for me. So, you know, it wasn't a perfect linear path, but uh, it worked out and really grateful for my team because uh, they're awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never linear, right? Or it's, it's definitely never what we think it should be or how it's supposed to look. So Laurel, you just mentioned training that you need to train really good therapists. And what is that looking like? Because that's something new that you're beginning to offer, correct? Or something that you're branching out in your business. One, you you speak. So you do public speaking and trainings. So what what is that branch looked like? Moving into training therapists and sending really great people out there. And how how has your business shifted in that way? Part of the mission of Whole Brain Solutions too was just to create an environment that could grow with people, um, you know, the people that worked here. And I think just the natural arc, I mean, I see it in your business too, of like, I'm going to do this, but then teaching is kind of fun too. Let me add. So to me, I think it's just that natural arc of development of as we practice something a lot of times, Maybe we get asked or maybe we just want to share it and then people ask that that was always sort of in the blueprints. And I love teaching. I've always loved speaking and that role. And now because it has been since 2016, 17, 18, you know, my staff is really good and they're experienced and they're looking for their next thing. And I, you know, I didn't want them to feel like they had to go externally to fulfill their next phase of development professionally. They can, they're welcome to, and some do, but I just finally have the support to really push into that realm with my staff. So yeah, we're offering CEUs now. And part of that has also been work that I've been doing in West Virginia of really this mission of West Virginia Voices teaching West Virginians. I think, you know, there's a lot of really brilliant and seasoned professionals with 
a viewpoint that speaks directly to this clientele. And we're not, you know, every state has its own feel and every geographical location has its own nuance. And so that's been fun of working with DHHR gave a grant to Marshall to really start increasing access to continuing education locally. So we didn't have to travel or we didn't have to do everything on Zoom. So for me, I think it was just sort of the next phase of our development. It was always in the plan. And now I have other people with me. I'm a very, very good at ideas, organization and execution. I often need support. So yeah, that's the learning part of whole brain solutions. And we do EMDR specific things, but also have done a lot with teachers and educators, um, a lot of a lot of educators in my family. So they're always close to my heart. And I think it's a population that really is like, I mean, they are the front line of, of what this looks like of our trauma rates and our ACE scores. Um, and so that's been the group that has really encouraged me to keep going and develop products that aren't just for counselors. Um, so thank you, Mon County Board of Education. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you... You you're getting right to the root of it. I mean, why why wait? You know, twenty years to start working on yourself when you can just train the right people who are in the in the thick of it right now with the next generation. I think that's amazing, and I love your approach. Your your whole community approach is just incredible. Yeah, and I also want to kind of you know I think if we're going to destigmatize mental health, then we need to just talk about it as health. And if we help kids. And they are resilient (laughs) coming out of their childhood, then actually therapy might work. But the way that we've been doing it, you're like giving a system that has been soaked in toxic levels of stress for 20 years. And then you're saying, oh, I think you need some outpatient mental health care. It's just that's, you know, they need vitamin or like a IV bag and we're a Band-Aid. It's like it's not... (laughs) We're not, we're not enough. So absolutely. And, you know, I think most people know an educator and see what they go through. And I think we also just need to validate that, like, it's hard. And we dump our kids with them for eight hours of the day. And we want them to be like good humans and no math. And I think at some point, we probably need to look at prioritizing being a good human more than math. But I have a very biased perspective when it comes to help how we support teachers and what's important for kids. So oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, we're we're homeschooling. Mike and I both grew up in the public school system. Mine was in West Virginia, Mike's was in Colorado, and they were still very similar experiences. And I don't have, I mean, I'm not gonna bash the public school system. I I know there's amazing people in there doing really wonderful things, but that was a very hard and intentional decision we made to to choose to homeschool our kids and give them the tools that they're gonna need later on. Cause I totally a- agree with you, Laurel. Like being a good person to me trumps any knowledge. And I know for me, I can learn anything that I need to to teach my kids. And if I can't, I'm, I, I will have hopefully raised children who know how to find the answers right. that, that, that they need and find their own tools. Well, and I think you, you know, it's also, it doesn't matter how good of a person a teacher is or how knowledgeable they are. If we set them up where they can't even share that with kids because of ratios or testing or whatever. So, right. I mean, so much of what you're speaking to is like controlling the environment that your kid is in. And it's really hard to do that 
when you don't have control over the environment. So, right. Right. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to add, which just feels so true is like, or if you can't teach it to them, you know, people that can. And it's like, we keep promoting this like idea of like connection and like, we don't have to be good at everything, but if we know how to ask kindly, you know, worst case, the person just says, no, I don't, I don't have time for that. And you say, no problem. Thanks. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Laurel, what do you have on the horizon right now for whole brain solutions? Is there anything coming up that you are just like, that's just getting you out of bed every morning? (laughs) Uh, Oh gosh, Taylor, I'm reluctant to get out of bed. It's like, you know, it's always, I love my bed, but um, yeah, we have a lot of, I'm presenting at Emdria on case conceptualizing, working with neurodiverse populations. So that's, I'm really excited about that. That's at the end of August and that is going to become an eight, I think eight CEU training um, that I'm going to do designing for Case & Co, which is the EMDR company that I um, help facilitate and teach with. We have some workshops coming up here as well in October. So a lot of CEU training stuff has me excited to, like you said, keep learning, researching. And then practically, I am really proud of reconnecting with my staff. We had two people take jobs at the university, which I am very excited for them and like more power to them entering into higher ed right now. Um, But, you know, just noticing what transition is like in my work family and grateful that I have some time to get to know this team in this new way. I think oftentimes we get so busy that we kind of miss those transition points And I've been working really hard to balance out my schedule so that I can be present more in transition. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of just speaking to how we're happy for these people that they got a job they're excited for and we're going to miss them and noticing what that's like. So yeah, I think we're growing in different ways and I feel excited about not being the one that caused the change and the one that gets to support the change. That feels like a, a, like a CEO win for me of like, Hey, it wasn't my weird idea that was like, Hey, I'm going to totally change this. And that's just organic growth. And I get to be present for it. Not the causer of it. I just, that's awesome. Word, I <laughs> yeah. yeah. The causer. That sounds like a good word. Well, and, and you just touched on something that I think, I think that transition period often gets overlooked or we, we put up our, our, our own stipulations on how long we actually need for the transition period. Like, okay, it's been a few days or it's been a week. Let's get over it. And I know for me, and I, I think culturally, a lot of us are in, are in a shift of a transition period and it can be years sometimes of just discomfort and confusion and just letting things organically unfold. So I, I really appreciate that you touched on where you're at and how you're handling big transition periods. And Laurel, I always end uh, my episodes with this question. When was the last time you did not feel good enough? Ah, oh, you prepped me for that, Taylor. And I still like, <laughs> it's, it's a hard sure. one. Yeah. I mean, I think I have a couple that come up regularly for me. One is kind of how my brain works. You know, I'm someone who can be solving a really complicated problem and forget my keys and or forget to do like, yes, I set the dinner table and there's no milk, right? Even though I know you guys drink milk every day. So I think that's hard for me of 
why my brain works that way. Why stuff that's hard for other people is really easy for me. And then easy stuff (laughs) that I do every day, I forget. So that's a regular one. And then I think another one is just um, balancing work and being a mom. I still really struggle with feeling like I can't be enough in either setting. I don't know, probably happened to me. Well, I took a little vacation. So I feel good for the last four days. But like probably the day before that, I felt it. Um, Yeah. So I think that's probably my current biggest one that gets me like I feel that one in my heart versus just like, I'm frustrated um, is that to really do as good of a job in business and my job, which I love, and I really love getting better at this and challenging myself at work. I feel like I'm constantly picking the time that my kids are awake you know, what am I going to do with that time? And who am I letting down with no matter what I pick, I feel like I'm letting someone down. So that's, that's probably my real answer. I totally hear you. I hear you 100%. And there, there is no balance. You just, you come and go and try to be as present as possible wherever you are, right? Like, it's so hard to to find that. I don't know. I, I don't like the word balance. Cause I've, I've used it before. And every time I get into it, I'm like, there's no such thing. Like I cannot find a balance here, but yeah, just that, that constant attempt to be present in any moment that, that you're in. It's so challenging. Yeah. I mean, the word balance, I think I, well, I'm a Libra too. So I, I you know, I've always been <laughs> just intrigued by this principle, but I had a breakthrough with that Taylor of like balance is only like really ever achieved for a split second if something changes, right? So it's this constant assessment and monitoring. And that was like, well, that actually feels exactly like what it's like, right? Yeah. Yeah. And encouraging myself to look across like a week or a month versus a day. Um, I find it incredibly difficult to feel like I do a good job being really good at my two main most important roles of like family member, which includes my husband and work member. But when I try and look at it across seven days, it feels much more manageable. I find I am more satisfied with how I'm doing. That's a really great piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. So I'll Gain a little not like balance, but you can, you can see me just yeah. jumping on the <laughs> other side of your little scales. Be like, it's okay, Julie, a little more over here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Laurel, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find more out about you? We'll we'll put all your information in the show notes. Um, but for our, our audible learners, where can people find out more? Yeah, about you? I think the best place is to check out wholebrainhealing.com. That's our website. And it has links to our training, more information about EMDR. If you're interested in learning as a therapist or exploring what that could look like as a client, that's a great place to start. And yeah, we, we hope that we can support your ongoing learning, healing journey in any way that feels right to you. So thanks for having me, Taylor. Thanks so much for being here, Laurel. I really appreciate this conversation so much. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Fearless Vampire. <laughs>